I want to call to your attention as we begin this series that there will be special emphases throughout this month in many ways. We started Friday night with our annual Sweetheart Banquet, and there were over 500 in attendance for a wonderful, wonderful evening. It was beautiful. Bob and Jeannie Johnson of PTL did such a wonderful job, and the humor of Mrs. Cole just turned us all on our ears in her own naive and sweet way. It was just a delightful time. I want you to note the announcement in the bulletin about next Sunday night. Some years ago, I came across the audio cassette of Mike Adkins telling the story of a man called Norman. I shared that story with many people because it's the most incredible story on love I've ever heard. Really, it is. And now Mike has put it in a film, and it will be our privilege and pleasure to share that with you next Sunday night, A Man Called Norman. You cannot miss this. It's just a fabulous experience to witness this story of love. And then the following Sunday will be our joy to welcome back Robbie Heiner, a man of extreme love, as he ministers in song, the gospel of Jesus. And that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And then the last Sunday of the month, Debbie Boone will be with us on Sunday night for a great Sunday night celebration. And Debbie is a loving human being from a loving family. And that will climax this great month on love. But we will not stop loving after February was over, we will just do it more. So what an entree God has prepared for us in February. And the place to be is, of course, right here throughout the month. 1 Corinthians 13, what a chapter. I would just point out to you, if you're one of those superstitious persons that think 13 is an unlucky number, God must not agree with you because this is the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and it has 13 verses. And in verses 4 through 7, there are 13 different expressions of love. Count them. Love suffers long, is kind, does not envy, is not puffed up. Four of them in verse 4 does not behave rudely, five, does not seek its own, that's six, is not provoked, that's seven, thinks no evil, that's eight. Four in verse five. Verse six, just has one, it's the ninth, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Then verse seven, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and ends with this 13th, endures all things. Now, you know that hotels do not have the 13th floor. Oh, of course, there is a 13th floor there, but nobody knows that. Somehow, in architecture, they jump from 12 to 14, and there is no 13. It's just omitted. It's an empty space. <laughs> 
Well, not really, but they don't put it on the elevator thing. You don't press 13. Nobody wants to stay on the 13th floor because if a plane came, it would run right through floor 13 and leave all the others intact. We are very superstitious. We talk about Friday the 13th, and people really hate it when in any month the 13th comes on a Friday. We're superstitious. But God is not that way, not at all. That's evidenced in this great chapter by the use of those 13s. I just, that's just extra. It didn't cost you any more. I just pointed that out for your well-being. Now, after concluding the chapter on spiritual gifts, chapter 12, Paul promises to show a more excellent way. Look at the last verse of chapter 12. He ends by saying, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And what is that more excellent way? It is the way of love. It is not, therefore, the charismata of a person but his character that matters to God. It is not the charismata of chapter 12 that really impresses God, but it's the character of chapter 13 that impresses God, that matters to God. Then with interest, I note in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, where the nine fruits of the Spirit are listed. The first one is love. Before all others, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit or the manifestation of the Spirit is love. My emphasis is on the first three verses of this chapter today, and I just recite them again after what I have just told you. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I can get up and talk with many tongues and impress people, but if it is not with love, it does not impress God. It depresses Him. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and who wouldn't like to have it, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and who wouldn't like that? And though I have all faith, and who of us has not prayed for faith, so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am zero. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I would back up a semi-truck to the door of Capital Christian Center because of the announcement in the bulletin about needing goods and empty all of that myself into the lobby of the church, a whole semi-load, if it is not with love, it is nothing to God. It does not impress God, and it has no eternal consequence. So, when we see all of this, a more excellent way than the charismata, when we see the nine gifts represented and the first one is love, we ought to get a little inkling on how God thinks. 
The absolute necessity of love is what these three verses are telling us. And in case you miss it, in chapter 13, look at the first two words of chapter 14. Pursue love. Does not say pursue finance or a betterment in your life. Pursue love and then desire spiritual gifts. If you pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts will then operate in a proper manner, which must always be with love. But how do I identify love? That's the question. Now, the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, has different words for love. We are limited in English to one, which is love. And that's unfortunate because we say, I love my cat, in the same manner we say, I love my wife. And it's not fair. We say, I love my car, and I love my son. Same word, but vastly different relationships. But Greek has three expressions, and you've heard them before, so I will not take long on this. But the first one in Greek is eros, where we get the word eroticism. Eros is physical desire. That's the thing you find in the popular songs. It's eros. It's what you find in the soap operas. It's all eros. And I wouldn't spend one minute of my life watching a soap opera because it's all surface, it's eros, it's, it doesn't help, it doesn't profit. You turn on it a year later, and they're still in the same episode. You haven't missed a thing. It's not the love of the New Testament. The second Greek word is the word philos, or philio. And it's a kind of brotherly love. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 10, 37, when he said, he who loves father or mother more than me, more than agape, is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In John 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. And it was, of course, because of the unbelief of the people when Lazarus was dead and in his grave and they were sorrowing because he was dead. Jesus knew he could resurrect him and he was not weeping because Lazarus was dead, but he was weeping because of the unbelief of the people. But when the onlookers saw Jesus weep, verse 36 says it, this way, see how he loved him. They didn't understand. It was a philos, a brotherly love. This word was not used consistently to describe God's kind of love. 
It was the unbelieving world that used it, not Jesus. So we come to the third Greek expression, and it is, of course, the word agape, A-G-A-P-E. We call our home group ministry here agape ministry, love ministry. Reach out and love one another. Now, what is agape? It is a love defined by God's action in sending Jesus into the world. That's the way to understand it. A love that reached out to those who did not deserve it. A love that put the interest of others first. That is agape. That is New Testament love. A love that reached out to those who did not deserve it. A love that put the interest of others first. Any other meaning violates the Scripture's meaning of love. Now, I was reading a book by a friend of mine who pastors up in Portland, Oregon. And in that book, he told a story from the 70s during the Vietnam crises of a young man who returned from Vietnam, landed in California, but having his home and family in Boston on the East Coast. He called his home in high society Boston from California. His folks were pseudo-cocktail, circuit, wife-swapping, party kind of people. The boy said to his mother, who answered the phone in Boston, I just called, mother, to tell you that I wanted to bring a buddy home with me. His mother said, sure, bring him along for a few days. He said, but mother, there is something that you need to know about this boy. One leg is gone, one arm is gone, one eye is gone, and his face is quite disfigured. Is it all right if I bring him home? His mother said, bring him home for just a few days. Then the son said, You don't understand me, mother. I want to bring him home to live with us. The mother began to make all kinds of excuses at that point. The excuses being on the lines of embarrassment and what people would think. And as she was expounding, her embarrassment, and all of the other, the phone clicked in California. He hung up. A few hours later, the phone in Boston rang again. A call from California, only this time it was a police sergeant calling the mother in Boston. We just found a boy with one arm one leg, one eye, and a mangled face who has just killed himself with a shot in the head. The identification papers on the body say he is your son. When I read that story, I wasn't worth a whole lot for a few minutes. 
Love is absolutely necessary. God's kind, and it's not eros, and it's not philos. It's agape. A love that puts the interest of others first. A love that forgives people and is willing to start over again. A love that sacrifices itself for others. A love that looks beyond a half-mangled body. That son was just testing his parents to see if when he landed in Boston, they would think of him any differently than they did before. There was not agape love. And he said it's not worth living and ended his life because you cannot survive without love. It's absolutely essential. Now I have two points today. Are you surprised? One, show God you love him. Two, show people you love them. Now, why is it important to show God you love him? I would like you to answer that question in your mind as quickly as you can. Why is it necessary to show God you love him? I don't know what answer you would come up with, but here is what I believe is the correct answer. Because of the nature of his love. That's why it's important for me to show God I love him because of the nature of his love. I learned it as a boy. Some songwriter, and I didn't take the time to look up the name, but way back, years ago, because I've sung this all my life, a songwriter captured this in a little song. You will recognize, I love him, I love him, because he first loved me and purchased my salvation on Calvary's tree. That's why it is important to show your love to him because of his love to you. God sent the best that he had to die for despicable me to pay the supreme penalty for my sinfulness. It does not matter, my friend, how deep you have gone. God's nature is to love you, and God's nature is to love me. In the prayer room this morning, I was reading the prayer needs, and I saw a note saying, pray for this young lady, gave her name. She is homosexual. She doesn't think she can come to church because the church would not love her. People would not understand her, and I wanted to stick my head out the door at 6 a.m. and shout to the world, it's not true. It's not true. We know the nature of God's love because he picked us all up. 
where we were. In our sin and in our ugliness. And he said, I love you and I forgive you. We will wrap our arms around the AIDS victims and say we love you because God loves you. They must see our love for God because of the nature of His love toward us. I don't know any story in the Bible that illustrates it more than the story of Hosea, and you might want to turn to it. It's right after Daniel, page 11 or 1005 in the New King James. Just before Joel, just after Daniel, Hosea the prophet. I will tell you the story, and you can read it later in completeness, but the nature of God's love is demonstrated in the life of Hosea the prophet. When he was a young preacher, he had his ordination papers, the Lord said to this young preacher on one occasion, Go marry Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. You'll see that in verse 3 of chapter 1. God spoke to this young preacher and said, Go marry Gomer. In case there was more than one Gomer, he gave the father's name. I can't imagine there being more than one Gomer, but Maybe there was. And this young preacher eagerly obeyed with optimism that his marriage would be blessed. And he loved her and took her to his wife. And that marriage was a blissful thing for a time. A son was born. Verse 4, they called him Jezreel. And I know it was a blessed home because of what Jezreel means. It means God's seed. They were saying, Hosea and Gomer, God has done all of this. God is blessing us. Jezreel is now a part of us. God's seed. Marvelous. But something happened. Gomer became unfaithful to Hosea. Despite the pleas of her husband, she persisted to commit adultery until a daughter was born to her, a daughter that Hosea was not sure was even his, probably was not. He called her Lo-Ruhamah, which means that she never knew a father's love, she that never knew mercy. Sad chapter in this preacher's life. Gomer sank further. She went from adultery to harlotry. She became a harlot. Anybody's property. Hosea publicly disowned her third child, a son, naming him Loami, 
which means no kin of mine. Hosea knew it was not his son. She had been away from him too long. A heartbroken preacher with a wife of the street. Gomer eventually was discarded by all of her lovers and ended up in the slave market of that day. And interestingly enough, Nobody wanted to buy her. She was omitted. Her body undoubtedly showing the marks of this sinful period of her existence. Years of debauchery. The beauty of her youth gone. And her reputation undoubtedly known throughout the whole region. She is a harlot. No one would even make a bid for her. And then God spoke again. This is what you've got to get. God spoke to Hosea again, and here's what he said to him in chapter 3, verse 1. Go love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. God said to Hosea, I want you to go down and buy your own wife, Gomer. Can you imagine what went on in this preacher's head? I can. As he stood there looking at that pitiful figure of a woman who was once the joy of his youth, I'm sure he thought, what has happened to her? How could I ever live with her, sleep with her, have her as my wife? Look at her. Surely, God, you wouldn't want me to do this. I can imagine him thinking of his meagerly, meager preacher's salary and having to think, I've got to spend whatever money I have to buy my own wife. God, surely... You wouldn't want that of me. And then I can think of a thought passing through his mind. Lord, she will bear my name again. I don't know if I can handle this. Everybody knows Gomer. How could she bear my name? I'm your servant. But I think the big thing was when he thought again of what God said, and I want you to notice it, he was instructed not just to buy her, not just to give her back his name, but he was instructed to love her. It was a command. If anyone ever had good reason to question God's command, it had to be Hosea. I want you to notice that the command did not end with just saying, love her, but it says, love her according to the love the Lord hath for the children of Israel. There it is. God put it in a package he could somehow understand. Just like God did when he gave us Jesus, flesh, 
dwelling among us. He said, Hosea, love her just like I love Israel who has committed adultery against me time and time again. Who is idolatrous time and time again. Israel, whom I love, who has forsaken me over and over again. I want you to love Gomer just like I love Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, the why of it ought to be easily understood. The nature of his love toward us. He did for us what nobody else could do. He did for us what nobody else would do. Now, how can we express our love to God, which is an absolute necessity for survival? Well, why are you here? Why have you all come? This is a worship service. Do you know what worship is? Worship is my love response to God. That's exactly what it means. My love response to God. Why is it so hard when the worship leader says, why don't we raise our hands and tell God we love him that some do and some don't? Why is it that when the songs are put on the wall or the book is open, some sing and some don't? Why is it that we are so busy looking around, seeing who's here or who isn't here, and perhaps coming in late and missing that whole worship experience in the early part of the service, when it's what God has been waiting for all week long to hear from His subjects, whom he gave everything for, a response to all that he has touched them with and blessed them with, and yet we can't seem to get free enough to just raise our hands. We can't open our mouth and sing, I love him, I love him, because he first loved me. No wonder David was a man after God's own heart because his whole life was filled with praise and worship. He starts his psalms over and over again with the, the term, praise the Lord. I don't want to give anybody a guilt trip, but I just would have you examine uh, your expression to God. Because that's the how of it. How you give God back what he wants, it's the expression of love in your worship. I got an illustration of it Friday when I came back from Calgary. I got on the plane after a layover in Salt Lake City. I was seated on the aisle, and I thought the plane was about to go. I had already started reading some material I had when a tall young man came down the aisle and stopped at my seat and said, excuse me, I have the window See, so I unbuckled and stood up, and as he came in front of me, looked me right in the face. He said, oh, you're Pastor Cole, aren't you? I said, yes. 
We sat down and I stuck my hand out and got his name. It was John. John lives in Grass Valley. He's coming home from Atlanta. The plane just landed and he said, I think we're leaving a few minutes late because of our plane. So he was grateful to get on. And as we visited, I learned he was from the First Baptist Church in Grass Valley, Christian brother. We had a wonderful visit. And I further learned that in two weeks he's going to be married at the First Baptist Church downtown here in Sacramento. And I congratulated him, and I thought, hmm, hmm, now, when we land, I'm going to watch. I'll bet that's going to be an interesting reunion in the airport in Sacramento. And I was not disappointed. (laughs) As we stood after landing, pulling up to the ramp, I said to him, John, do you have the rest of the day off or do you have to hurry back to work? He said, no, no, I've taken the rest of the day off. And with a grin, he said, in fact, my wife and I are getting our wedding license today. We're spending the rest of the day to take care of all the details. And I congratulated him again and wished him well and went down the ramp and watched. He was tall. She was there right at the end of the ramp where the door opens. And I looked over, and I mean, they greeted one another. (laughs) And she was reaching up, wrapping her arms around his neck. She buried her face right here on the side after... What do you call those things, honey? Oh, kisses, yeah. Uh, I mean an expression. You had no doubt as to who she loved. Now, where was my... I look. (laughs) Didn't recognize anybody. (laughs) Took my things and walked down that long hallway all by myself. (laughs) Down the escalator. Looked out toward the baggage place. There, There she was! We've been at this 36 years. Uh, I stopped the story there in the first service, and she really took after me in between services. (laughs) She said, why didn't you tell them that I had the car at the curb with the trunk up? (laughs) I said, honey, I didn't want to spoil my story. You only tell as much as emphasizes the point. (laughs) But she used to be up there by the door. That's my point. These folk 
Luke had no problem expressing publicly, without embarrassment, their affection to one another. Why are we embarrassed to give expression to God? Giving is an expression of love to God. Loving the brethren is an expression of love. Working in the vineyard, talking about him to others is expression to God of our love. All of 1 Corinthians 13 says that love demonstrates and that it abides. When God had a complaint in Revelation, it was to the church at Ephesus because they were not demonstrating their first love. They had left it. And God said, I have something against you. You see, you recognize love by the way it acts. There's no other way. Love will find a way. Indifference will find an excuse. Love says, I don't care if I'm Scandinavian. For I came out of the Lutheran church. I will demonstrate my love to God. It doesn't look for an excuse, be it nationality or religious background. Love says, God has done this for me in Christ, and I cannot hold back. I will express my love to Him. Somebody said, love is oceans of emotions surrounded by expanses of expenses. It's true. Getting into God's family is free, but maintenance is costly. It's expensive. And love is oceans of emotions surrounded by expenses of expenses. It's giving back to God. Expressions of love every day of your life. Church attendance. All of it. Show God you love Him. Your life will take on an absolute new dimension when you learn that and participate. No matter your age, your sex, your job, your nationality, your religious background, it doesn't matter. Think of John and his fiancée, and you've got the picture. It's throwing yourself on God and loving him profusely. Now, show people you love them. John, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And I want to give two points quickly. Number one, under show people you love them, start with your family. Your family. Don't talk to me about speaking in tongues or prophesying. Don't talk to me about your gift of faith. 
if you cannot demonstrate to me your love for your family. Don't bother. It starts at home. One of my messages this month will be on that theme. Love starts at home. Joyce Landorf shared the story of waiting to board a jet to Hawaii at the Los Angeles International Airport some time ago. An old man in the waiting room was seated next to her and he was silently crying. She was about to speak to him when the man on the other side of the old gentleman spoke to him. He asked him if he could help him in any way, and the old man just shook his head and said no, continued to cry. Then getting a firmer grip on himself and his emotions, he began to talk, not to anyone in particular, just kind of in the air. He began to talk out loud. He said, for 30 years his wife nagged him about taking a Hawaiian vacation. Twenty years ago, when they had become financially able to afford such a trip, she really nagged him. He firmly said no and had given her his reasons. After all, Hawaii held no interest for him, and he couldn't see any point in going all that way and paying all that money to see an island or two. Then he said through his tears, six months ago she got cancer, and now he paused and said, now she's gone. His tears were streaming down his face, Joyce said, but he made no move to dry them. He just let them drip on his clothing. He continued talking, as it were, to the air. Before she died, he said, she made me promise I'd go and take that vacation in Hawaii for her. So here I am alone, going to Hawaii. And then as if to pray a little prayer, he said, God, why didn't I take her when we had all that time and all those years? You love God? His word says, not unless you love your family. Not unless you stick with the family. Not unless you prove it by the commitment made. Family. Hear me, church. Love finds the time and love finds a way. No excuses. Love touches your family. What good do you think my preaching would do in this pulpit if my family was in disrepair? It would be sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. What gives me authority to stand here and talk to you like this the authority of proof. 
I spent a little time yesterday afternoon on the telephone to every member of my family because in February and early March, three of our children celebrate their birthdays. Two daughters-in-law and one son. And for years, I have planned a very special evening for all of them at my expense, of course, to celebrate those birthdays. We have a wonderful evening. And we had not yet set that date, and my calendar was looking a little bit preposterous, and I had to settle it. I had to find the day we could do this. I got them all on the phone, and we settled it. And I want you to know there will be no funerals on that day. You go ahead and die, but you will not be buried until the next day. <laughs> I will be with my family. It's on the calendar. It's going to stay there. Nothing will change that date because I have put high priority on taking my family to heaven with me. I don't want to go alone. Love finds a way. Love finds the time. And nobody here has a fuller schedule than this man does. That's why I have to write it in. And then, of course... There is an absolute necessity of love touching those around you, beyond your family. How do you nurture your spirit? Well, some would say by prayer in the Bible. Let me give you another way that may even be as powerful as those. Let love flow out. The telephone company has captured it. Touch somebody. That's how to nurture your spirit. Touch somebody. That's what this church is about. That's what the gospel is about. Jesus gave us the Lord's table. He was ingenious in giving us the communion as a touch point forever with him. And he called us his friends. And we come to the table to remonstrate that. So we need to be creative to touch each other. And I ask you, how are you doing? Every month we have an Agape Leaders Breakfast on Saturday morning, and most every month I speak to the leaders. But yesterday, Brother Jess Brigham scheduled Paul Goulet to speak to the leaders, and I was speaking to a group of leaders at the neighborhood Bible church across town, so it worked out very well. But a month ago at the breakfast, they have a, a sheet on the table with all kinds of news and information of things to come. And I noticed on the sheet there on the table before I stood to speak that the Budamans, or rather the uh, Matsunagas, serving people in our church, were scheduled to do the breakfast yesterday. So I got up and made a smart remark that undoubtedly the breakfast in February would be fried squid since the Matsunagas were fixing it. And they laughed and 
Thankfully, even the Matsunagas laughed. Well, yesterday, they didn't know I was not going to be at the breakfast. So they brought this beautifully prepared plate of fried squid for you-know-who. And I was not there. And I was not in my office after the breakfast because I was still across town, didn't get back here till into the afternoon. So they missed me at both counts. But later in the afternoon, my phone rang and my wife said, the Matsunagas were here at our home. I said, really? Yeah, she said, they brought this beautiful plate of fried squid by, thinking you would be home, perhaps. And it's lovely, she said. And they visited a while, and then last night after the prayer meeting, I went home and had fried squid. My wife put it in the microwave. I, I didn't know what squid even looked like. And I was a little apprehensive. They had this soy sauce with vinegar so you could dip it. But, you know, I was still a little apprehensive. So I remember the Budamans who brought to our home numbers of times these exotic dishes, marvelous. And with it, the Budamans always bring this red sauce. It's Indonesian. I'm telling you, that is hot sauce. <laughs> Smoke comes right out of your ears when you eat that Budaman sauce. It's incredible. I like hot sauce. You got to be real careful that you don't take too much. I'm telling you, that is the hottest I've ever had in my life. It will cure anything undoubtedly. It would kill any germ in your body. So I said to my wife, put out some of Budaman's red sauce with this soy sauce, just in case. I'm not sure how this squid is going to be, and I know that I'll only taste the sauce if I use some of that. That's the way I ended my day last night. When I was going through this process, I thought of all the loving deeds people do toward me. Squid, Indonesian dishes, hot sauce, people driving all the way to Rancho Cordova to deliver a special Now you, I came to church with a warm spirit this morning. <laughs> I kind of think Schultz picked up the problem of mankind when through Linus he said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> Somehow that has to be healed. It's people God has put us with here. And when you reach out to touch them, you nurture your own spirit. 
her husband affectionately said, I'd die for you, my love, as he spoke to his dear wife. And she said, oh, Harold, you're always saying that, but you never do it. <laughs> How you doing in your relationship? Vertical, horizontal. Love is an absolute necessity. I've got more, but I'm going to have to stop. I know I had to in the first service. This expands as I get up here. I get all excited, and it just things just keep popping into my head. pastor in Canada where I ministered this week came to me and he said, I have a 25-year-old mother in my church who just lost her 25-year-old husband by death. And he said, she said to me, thanking me for the prayers and all of the rest, but this is what she said. She said, Pastor, what I need is arms and ears. When he told me that, I, I went to write it down. I didn't want to lose it. Because church, what people need is arms and ears. They don't need a lot of platitudes. They just need some arms and some ears. And God has given them to all of us to demonstrate his love. And I say at the beginning of this love month, let's get down to business. Love God fervently. Love each other fervently. Let God work through us in a world that is so hateful and vengeful. They will know we are his disciples and we have love one for another. Oh, Jesus. We're overwhelmed when we think of how much you did for us and how much you do for us every day. And yet we sit around and we complain. We have to be dragged to church when we ought to run with all our might so that we could raise our hands in the sanctuary and lift our voices and sing, I love him. I love him because he first loved me, picked me up where I was, Forgive us, Lord. And then we gripe and complain about the people you put into our lives so often. 
rather than giving them arms and ears. Forgive us. Oh God, heal us. Don't let us live the way the world lives. Help us to live the way you taught us. By love. Let the power of love be released in our church this month like we have never seen it before. And let it be explosive to the world beyond. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. I just didn't know how emotional this message would be in in both services today. To me, I apologize. But I do believe God is trying to get through to us.